Hi everyone, and welcome to the place where we discuss all things communication. This is Guide to Awesomeness, powered by Coldwell Banker, Ronan Realty. Hello everyone, joining me today is two good friends of mine, Ryan Burwell and Matt Todd. Ryan and Matt both work for a Toronto-based company called 21 Toys. As the Director of Training and Facilitation, Ryan develops workshops and training opportunities for innovators of all ages. He leads an incredible facilitation team that includes Matt in the delivery of play-based workshops to corporate teams, non-for-profits, K-12 educators, and post-secondary institutions. Delivered across the globe, both in person and online, these highly experiential and laughter-filled workshops explore tangible ways to practice emotional intelligent communication, collaboration, and problem solving. Matt is also the Director of Learning and Organizational Development at Plan International Canada, uh, where it's, they're an organization that strives for a just world that advances children's rights and equality for girls. I have had the pleasure of working with both of these inspiring and intuitive individuals, and I can't wait. So let's just dive right in. Thank you both for being here. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you for that lovely introduction. Yeah, it's super exciting to be here, Jonah. Thank you. Just to get things started, for those that obviously don't know, would you mind just kind of talking a little bit about 21 Toys and what they are and what they do? Yeah, sure. I can uh, provide uh, the elevator pitch off the get-go here. So essentially, uh, 21 Toys, uh, we're a learning and development company. And uh, we play with teams all over the world uh, using uh, toys and uh, physical play to be able to practice 21st century skills. So uh, 21st century skills, uh, we really believe they're the human-centered skills that are are necessary to deal with all the curveballs that this wacky century seems very content at uh, continuing to throw at us. So uh, skills like understanding each other, uh, bouncing back from things that don't work according to plan, and uh, improvisation, so being creative on the spot. These are the types of human-based skills that we really need right now. And uh, yeah, we really do think that play is, is the best way to be able to teach them. And Matt, do you have anything you'd like to add to that? I mean, I, I leave to Ryan as the leader. Really what 21 Toys does, as, as Ryan alluded to, is you know, really focusing on helping people really understand what communication, collaboration, innovation, failure, what all of that looks like in action and, and how it applies to our day-to-day lives, how it applies to the work that we do, how it applies to our relationships. We often talk about the value of an experience is not just from the experience, it's about what you do with it. And that's what we really strive to do. We really strive to help people understand and have a have a fun and playful experience and, and take that experience and apply it to their lives. Yeah, that application piece is, uh, is really, really important too. Uh, so, uh, so well said, Matt, uh, as always. Yeah, we really do believe that if we can have a really powerful uh, experience with other people and then we talk about what did we learn from trying to build shared understanding when we're playing together or what did we learn when we're trying to bounce back from something that didn't go according to plan. And then we can think about, well, where else does that apply to our, our day-to-day work and learning? And that's, uh, that's where the real magic happens, where we have that the powerful conversation in the fun environment of play. And then we're able to apply that in uh, our day-to-day uh, beyond the actual sandbox that, that we provide in our workshops and in our toy kits. That's awesome. And, and I think it's a great segue really into our, our next question in the concept the first toy obviously that was launched was the empty toy i've had the opportunity of using it a few times and i have had the opportunity with uh ryan to uh, understand more about it and become a level one facilitator 
that first step was really cool to get a better understanding of how how the concepts work and how to really understand making those things apply. But in your opinions, why does empathy matter? I have all sorts of opinions about this, as you can imagine. Uh, I really do believe that empathy is uh, is one of the most important skills for the 21st century because at its core, what empathy is and how we define it as a company is the ability to build shared understanding across different people. So having multiple different people who have different life experiences, different backgrounds, having all the same picture in their heads is incredibly important. Uh, number one, just from like a relationship point of view, making sure that uh, you know when you're in a relationship with someone, either professionally or personally, you're aligned in terms of your your connection. When you're talking to each other, you've got sort of a shared understanding. I mean, that's that's kind of critical to feel connected to someone, have that sort of shared understanding. And of course, in, in the workplace, when people have shared understanding, a shared vision, and a shared understanding about how we're going to reach that vision, I mean, that's when we're able to to really pull together as a team uh, most most effectively. So uh, the last thing I'll say about empathy, and then I want to throw it to, to Matt, is that I think empathy is often misunderstood as being exclusively an emotion. Like, And there's obviously an extremely uh, important emotional dimension of building empathy. But to that, that sort of emotional foundation, I would add that there's a really important cognitive component to building that shared understanding. And, and there's like, there's a process that you can, you can go through in order to build that. It's about asking better questions, being more receptive to, to hearing things from, from someone that might not necessarily align with what you first assumed that they were going to say. So being open and curious about new, new ways of doing things too. And all of those things can be practiced in, 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 in a logical way. And when teams and, and people practice them, that shared understanding uh, goes a huge, huge way uh, at, uh, to building relationships that are really, really firmly uh, connected. Yeah. I mean, I would add to that. We talk a lot about this when we do workshops. And, you know, one of the first questions we ask a group is like, what is empathy? Right. And I think, Ryan, you probably see this as well. And, and Jonah, you've probably seen this. One of the most common responses we get is it's putting yourself in other people's shoes, right? It's putting yourself in another person's perspective. And I think that that's really important. I also think that that's half the definition. The other part of that is what you do with that perspective, how you use that perspective in terms of the actions you take or the behaviors that you elicit. And so that ability to cognitively, emotionally put yourself in someone else's position and then to use that information, because really that, you know, that was what it is. You use that information to determine your actions and behaviors becomes really, really important. So I think that that's what really sticks out for me. I, I think, you know, we can all agree that the past almost two years have really reinforced the value and the importance of empathy in terms of having uh, shared understanding and connecting with each other. We often talk about the future of work being human. And I don't know if the future, you know, if, if work has, has been more human than it has been over the last almost two years. Yeah. And I would also just uh, second what you said again, uh, Matt, about uh, the importance of, of application too. It's like, I, we always say that we know that we're being empathic is when we see a change in our behavior. Because uh, when you are learning about new situations and new people, and of course, like you're, you're spot on, Matt, like these last two years have been a time where empathy is more important uh, than, than ever. And I, I can tell that I'm becoming more empathic and that the people around me are becoming more empathic when we start to update how we interact with each other. Like when we learn new things about how we're all doing, especially now and, and checking in with each other, 
like Matt said, applying what I've now learned about what someone has now told me, but where they're at and making sure that I can do something to respond to that is so important now. I like the idea, the fact of, like you said, Matt, that distinction between, you know, there's empathy, but then there's the part two, right? Okay. I can be empathic. I can have that quality. I can feel what they're feeling, but if I don't do anything with it, am I really actually using empathy? And I think it's important that people realize that not only do you have to take into account what they're doing, what they're feeling, what they're thinking, how they're reacting, you have to then be able to learn from that understanding mm -hmm. and utilize it. And I know I've, I've used that in my workplace. I began starting to realize I've caught on to the way people are feeling, the way people are acting, why they're, why they're feeling the way they are, putting myself in that position and feeling, oh my God, what are they going through? Oh my, oh my, this is so overwhelming, what's happening? And then figuring out, okay, how do I then assist them? How do I help them move on? How, what can I do to make their day a little bit easier? And I think you're pointing out something really important too around empathy is, you know, if we only focus on putting ourselves in other people's positions or their perspectives, but we don't do anything, that can also be really overwhelming and draining for us, right? And and again, you know, the, the the experience that we've collectively been going through over the last, you know, almost two years, that's been my experience, right? If you put yourself and think about, okay, you know, how are the people I work with? How are the people I serve? How are my family managing through all of these things? That can weigh very, very heavy on you, right? And And some people are more susceptible to that than others. The really important piece to both benefit those that we want to be empathetic towards or empathic towards, but also ourselves is to really determine like, what can I do with this, right? One of the questions that I like to ask quite often is what's going on around me, right? It's a very empathic question, right? And you start to take a look at your inner circle and your outer circle, and you look at the people within your family, within your organization, within your community, and you start to think about what is going on in their lives? What might they be struggling with? You know, wh where are they? And the follow-up question, which is really important, equally important, is what can I do about it? And that's an empowering question, right? Because then it's looking at, okay, what's going on in Jonah's life right now? And then it's like, okay, so what can I do to support Jonah? What can I do to maybe help or even just make Jonah's day a little bit better? Yeah, and one of the things I think we've uh, we found over the years of delivering these sessions too is sometimes those actions we don't jump to a solution when we're when we're being empathic too, because very rarely does a complicated uh, question have sort of a, a simple solution to it. But just the act of reaching out and and trying to understand where someone is coming from that is an action that that is extremely meaningful. The other side of this too that I'd like to add on to this too, which is so important, and I think. People who tend to be fairly naturally empathic are yeah, very interested, as Matt said, in how, how are other people doing? What's going on in their world? How, how can I help? Empathy is very much a two-way street on top of that as well, where empathy is about making yourself understood, which can be really, really difficult, especially uh, for, for leaders these days who want to be like the rock. They check in with their team and make sure that they have what they need but they're carrying a, you know, a really terrible burden themselves too. So I think one of the hardest pieces of empathy, but one of the most, most powerful ones too, is helping other people understand where you're at, uh, especially when you don't know what to do next, or especially when you're in a rough spot, because uh, that's an, an important action uh, as well that is really empowering as well as you know, admitting when maybe you need a little bit of help or you need uh, some, some time or I just meaning when you need something, maybe if you don't even know what it is, just letting someone know that you need that, I think is a very, very nuanced, very difficult, but incredibly important part of making yourself understood. 
Yeah, that also speaks to the relationship between empathy and relationships, but also empathy and self-awareness, right? So understanding empathy, practicing empathy allows you, as we've said, put yourself in another person's position or perspective, but it also provides the opportunity for you to then check in with that person and to connect with that person, you know, to be able to say like, hey, Ryan, I recognize that maybe you might be experiencing this, right? And and for Ryan then to be able to say, well, hey, actually, that's not it at all. <laughs> you know, that's that's not my experience at all. And so it's not whether you're right or wrong. It's the practice of this, you know, of, of empathy, putting yourself in another person's position. But then it creates an opportunity to have a conversation with that person or those people for clarity, right? And to strengthen and further relationships. Yeah, 100%. And I know we could probably spend hours talking just about empathy. We definitely could. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I absolutely agree with everything. I, I believe that empathy is one of the most crucial factors to get to get the ball rolling with any form of communication, because without it, then you've lost all touch with figuring out how to help somebody and how to communicate if you don't understand the first step, which is empathy. Ryan and I call each other all the time just to talk about empathy. It just totally nerd out about it. It's, it's awesome. That's it. <laughs> I would 100% believe it. I would love to start getting on those phone calls because I could do it all day long as well. Moving forward, I know the next toy that's been put together is the concept of failure. Now, I, I had the opportunity to, to try it at once, see how it was working, but how does purposeful failure create change? Yeah, so a failure, definitely, uh, I would put it in the same category as empathy as one of these super important things that uh, we talk about a lot, but it's a really difficult thing to, for us to practice. So when we were designing the failure toy, maybe just a little bit of background before I, uh, I, I actually answer your question, it took us a, a long time. Our founder, uh, Alana Ben-Ari, uh, she had the idea for the failure toy, the, the idea that we need to teach failure with, with play because it's such an important but can be a very, very difficult subject. So she had that idea, it's going to be a toy for, for a long, long time. And it took her uh, about uh, almost eight years to go from like, I know this thing needs to exist to it actually uh, existing. And one of the, the challenges that we had uh, when we were trying to prototype the failure uh, toy itself and then the workshop that accompanies it uh, was that every single time we were asking people about, you know, what's been your experience of failure? How do you define it? They all came up with a different definition, which was really interesting uh, from, from an empathic point of view. You know, when we're asking these questions about what does this mean to you? And we sort of expected much more of a coherent narrative across it. But it turns out that, that failure means something difference to every single person. That's problematic in a workplace or any type of place where we're trying to do things that are new and innovative, because if we all have different ideas about what it means to fail, then we can't really have like a concrete uh, approach to running a good experiment or to, to learning. If someone looks at a, a small challenge as a big deal, a big, big failure, they're probably not going to do a lot of things uh, that, that could possibly lead to that outcome, which probably limits what they're trying in terms of their approach. Uh, and it also can lead to some, some challenges in the workplace. If someone else who wants to go and experiment wildly and they're like, don't worry about it if it doesn't work, you know, having people that have very, very different approaches to uh, what it means to fail uh, is, is a problem in terms of collaboration. But once we actually managed to, to wrap up the, the toy and started to have this conversation, we recognized that one of the most important things that you can do as a team is actually to start with that same question that we started when we were designing the toy, which is, what does failure mean to you? And what, what's been your sort of response to 
preparing for it in, in the past? And once we start asking that question, we, we really dig into, I think, uh, some of the opportunities that come from, from doing things that might not go according to plan. As long as we're comfortable with uh, the sandbox or the parameters of what we're sort of testing out, when something does, in fact, you know, quote unquote, fail, but we're in the right headspace to talk about it, and like we've sort of agreed that, okay, it was an acceptable thing to try something that didn't work, then there's this hugely important host of questions that gets opened up, like, you know, why didn't that work? Or like, why, why did we get that particular outcome? That's really interesting. I never thought that that would have happened. And there's this opportunity for serendipity and this, uh, you know, something that didn't work according to plan, but it led us into a, a totally new direction. And to get really meta on you, um, like failure in our own experience as, as a startup has been actually super critical. We knew that the failure toy needed to exist because when we were prototyping the empathy toy, we had tons of failures. Our one failure that I can share with you at the beginning is we assumed right from the get-go of our company that uh, we were going to manufacture toys for elementary school age kids and teachers. But we were very quickly alerted to the fact that we had missed a, a huge opportunity here. Uh, so when we we're giving the first prototypes of the toys to that demographic, so elementary schools, the toys kept going missing on the weekends because the teachers were taking it home and uh, they were playing with their spouses who were lawyers and in real estate and corporate, other corporate environments. And they came back to us and were like, do you sell workshops too? Because this is really cool. So we had to you know, admit that, that we were wrong, that we were short-sighted when we first started, but that, that led to this huge new opportunity. And because uh, the company that Alana has built around her, so the company that the founder has built, is one that very much looks at like opportunities that come from things that go sideways. And that was one of the first examples of doing, doing just that. So I know that was a very long-winded answer too, but you can tell I have a lot of, lot of opinions about failure as well. I'm going to pass the mic now to Matt as well, because I'm always fascinated to hear uh, Matt's perspective on, on failure as well. I just love listening to, to Ryan's voice. So. Oh, go on, Matt. <laughs> you summarized it, right? I, I think the first thing that comes to mind for me when we talk about failure is understanding that you know failure at its core is, is experimentation, right? It's trying things, finding out whether or not they work, learning from the things that don't work and doing things differently, right? So, you know, we all talk about how important innovation and creativity, you know, these things are. And, and I think failure is a, the core component of that because really, I think at its core, you know, failure is experimentation. Part of what we do in these workshops is we, we really help people start to identify and look deeply at what is their relationship with failure, right? What is our relationship you know, with failure as an individual? What does our relationship with failure as a team or a company or an organization or a school, what does this look like? And that's, I think, a really important part of, of the process of, you know, first of all, looking at that relationship, identifying where we are able to uh, fail well and experiment and where are the opportunities for us to continue to grow and and failure is in my experience is also it's cultural and what i mean by that is you know it's influenced by the companies and the organizations we work with and the culture within their companies and organizations i'm sure we've all heard stories or know or have experiences of an organization that talks about innovation talks about experimentation creativity but also has a culture of not letting their people fail and not creating a space where people feel it's safe to make mistakes. 
we know that when people don't feel safe to fail, when they don't feel safe to make mistakes, that's, that's often when the bigger mistakes can happen, right? Because they don't feel safe to actually share, you know, what they've learned or where they failed. So I think that relationship and the, and the cultural piece is really, really important. As Ryan alluded to, it's important to acknowledge that failure as 21 Toys, for example, you know, has led to some of our greatest opportunities to be able to look and say, oh, wait a minute, there's a whole group of people, of stakeholders who want this, who will benefit from it, you know, whether it's in education system or in an organization. I've used this in leadership development. I've used this within the opportunity to bring new staff into an organization and really at the beginning start to talk about what is the relationship that we have with failure and how does that fit within our culture? Mm-hmm. You bring up such a good point about what we say sometimes in, in our culture and even as individuals and then what we actually do. I've actually seen that at an individual level in failure toy workshops too. So when we when I ask people at the beginning, so how do you define failure and what does it mean to you? Like a lot of us have already drunk the Kool-Aid because you know we've seen it on LinkedIn and <laughs> been to other podcasts that talk about the importance of failure and everything too. So a, a lot of the things that get said at the start of the failure toy workshop or is just like, yeah, you know what, I, I understand that failure leads to you know insight and, and learning. And then we play the first game and <laughs> people are just terrified of dropping any of the game pieces. Uh, so the failure toy is this game of balance and experimentation where you're trying to build on top of an unstable base with these these game pieces and the thing falls down that's the nature of it it's the failure toy not the success toy after all and it's hilarious after people talk the big game about the importance of risk taking and a thoughtful failure how risk averse they end up being in practice and i, I would put myself in that that same bucket as well, well I, we had one of our other facilitators uh, run a game for me and some of my my other colleagues too and i was a participant and of course i went in there with big expectations but like I run these sessions all the time. I'm going to take smart risks and experiment. And and then I started to recognize, it's like, oh, everyone thinks that I'm going to be really good at this game because like, I run these sessions, which then made me so afraid to then fail in front of them that I ended up being very risk averse. And, and that really stuck with me, that lesson of, you know, it's very easy and tempting to talk a big game about the importance of failing. But when you get down to the emotional experience of like, oh, these people, who I, I trust and respect are going to watch me make a mistake. No matter how I intellectualize that, there's this emotional component to that that I need to be aware of. And I, I think that's a big lesson that we have with the failure toy workshops too is, yes, failure is important, but at some deep, profound, like limbic system level, it's always going to suck no matter how much we talk about its importance. And, and Ryan, you talk about this often. We talk about this in workshops, you know, like failure is deeply personal and it's filled with all kinds of contradictions, right? And, w- and one of the things we talk often about is the philosophy of failure, right? Which we see everywhere. And then there's the experience of failure. And everybody wants to talk about the philosophy of failure. Everybody wants to talk about, you know, why it's so important to fail. But very few people actually want to fail, right? Because that feeling sucks. It is not a good feeling to fail. Absolutely. The one thing that I always initially thought about when I think about failure, I I always go back to the um, Japanese proverb, fall down seven times, get up eight, which isn't a bad process. The idea of the fact, you know, when you know you fail, you keep going forward, you keep moving on. But the great thing I think about the failure toy and what 21 Toys is doing is 
they're creating an environment to be able to understand not only that it's okay to fall down seven times and understanding, like you said, the emotional attachment you have with that, the, the feeling of dread that, oh my God, I just failed, but then also figuring out, okay, how do we learn from that failure and where do we move forward? Everybody talks that game, like you said, about failure is an opportunity to learn something new and do something better the next time. But if you can't actually apply it, then you're not really understanding failure. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think one of the things we want to put forward and we talk about a lot too is, you know, the difference between like big F failure and small F failure, right? So like what we're not talking about is like, hey, make sure that you go out every day and intentionally just screw stuff up, right? Like that's that's not what we're trying to say, you know, but what we are saying is like be willing to experiment, you know, be willing to take risks, but also be willing to learn from those things, you know, be willing to take the time after something doesn't go right to step back and say, okay, you know, what contributed to that? How, how can we, you know, learn and use this, uh, you know, next time? And we think, and we talk a lot about, obviously, failure is a key part of innovation, you know, and, and context is really important. And Brian, you've said this before, we've shared it before. It's like, failure sucks, but it also instructs. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It rhymes, it must be true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, something uh, definitely to, to bear in mind, both of those, uh, the, the intellectual and the emotional side. I mean, this is core to what we do as a, as a company, too, is there needs to be acknowledgement to both sides. We can intellectualize things, and we do need to. We need to talk about them. It, like, there's instructive components of things that don't work, but there's that sucky component to the emotional side as well. And also, I just wanted to reiterate something also that you said, Matt, that I, yeah, definitely such an important uh, point, the difference between big F and small F failures too. There's like this weird thing that uh, there's the celebration of failure that I think is a big part of a lot of like startup culture. What we're not advocating for is the, like Matt said, going out and failing on purpose. There's a, a point at which you need to be able to get to success and like success is super, super important. But there are small failures that might happen along the way that are instructive. So failing smart, not failing all the time, is, is really the, the goal that we have for these workshops. Ryan, just one thing you touched on that I want to speak to, too, is success is really important. I think it's really important that we look and define, like, what does success look like for us, right? What does success look like for me as an individual? What does success look like for our team or, or for our organization? And really get aligned and define it because that's also important and, and important with failure and applying, uh, you know, failure to our lives. It's like we need to know where we're going. We need to understand its orientation, right? It's it's where are we? Where are we going? How are we going to get there? And what are the lessons that we want to learn along the way? Yes, well said. And I guess to segue away from failure and understanding with that concept in mind, where, where exactly would you say you see the pitfalls in communication and how is the work that you're both doing looking to combat that? Yeah, I would, I would pick up one of the, the, the common uh, pitfalls about communication is definitely related to our relationship to failure. And that's uh, being really afraid of admitting that you've made a mistake. I think we're all uh, definitely prone to to that like no one likes admitting when they've said something that didn't make sense or if they've tried to to explain something that then led someone to have a totally different picture in their their head but i i think when we do acknowledge that that is a natural part of how we communicate the best communicators in the world are still not they're not mind readers they're not uh, infallible they're going to say things that 
aren't going to necessarily land with the audience. And I, I think the more that we can be sort of vulnerable and uh, acknowledge the fact that that's, that's an important learning lesson too. So that also helps us become better communicators is when I try to say something, it doesn't work. But then again, we step back and be like, all right, why didn't that work for this particular audience? If I can gather information to then make my communication much more applicable and focused for that, that audience the next time. I mean, now I'm an even better communicator than I was before. So as soon as you stop admitting uh, that you're, you will sometimes fail as a communicator, you've stopped growing as a communicator. But Matt, yeah, I, I love your thoughts about this uh, too, about the pitfalls of communication. Yeah, I mean, I, I think empathy and failure both play into it. And, and I have a mentor and a coach that often says, too much of any strength becomes a weakness, right? And specifically around uh, empathy, I think if you spend too much time really trying to put yourself in other people's positions or really understand their perspectives and you don't take action on that, that can be really debilitating. That can, that can really kind of hold you back. I've, I've had that experience of spending too much time trying to really understand or, or emotionally understand what's going on in the lives of the people around me to the point where it's become paralyzing, to the point where you know I can't take action or I won't take action. And that really does influence and impact the quality of communication. I remember like early in my career, I was for, for a period of time, one of the things I used to do was develop and run uh, emotional intelligence and social emotional learning for youth. I worked with teenagers and educators, and I worked for this amazing uh, organization and company. And one of the things that they would teach you and, and talk about is, you know, the importance of self-awareness in all of this and the importance of really looking at, you know, what are the driving needs of the person that I might be having a challenge with right now? What are mine? Prepping yourself to have those conversations and one of the most important lessons I learned is you can use empathy to prepare for really hard or, or challenging conversations, but that doesn't guarantee it's going to go your way, right? And I remember having an experience with someone I worked with where I was feeling there was a lot of tension between us. And so I went through this process of really trying to empathize where this person was at. And, and I wrote a script and I did everything that I was taught and trained to do. And I went to this person and I was having a conversation with them. And I said, you know, I get this sense that you feel like I may be in over my head right now. And I expected that person to be like, no, that's not it at all. You know, and, and they went, yeah, that's totally it. <laughs> and, and I didn't know where to go from there. Right. I was like, okay, this, this is not how I thought this was going to go. This is the opposite of, of how I thought this was going to be. But it was such an important experience because I think, you know, it's important to acknowledge that we can understand empathy, we can understand the role that failure plays, and we also have to acknowledge that it's not always going to go the way that we want. That, you know, failure and empathy are not, Ryan, we've talked about this before, especially right now, where everything is hard, it's not a silver bullet. It's not going to fix every challenge that we're facing right now. The fact that things go off uh, the rails in unexpected directions, that's why the improv toy will be toy number three. Uh, I sort of let the cat out of the bag there, but uh, yeah, we, we definitely see that. There is no, no such thing as a silver bullet solution for, for anything that's this complex, too. I do think that uh, we can certainly uh, try to, to put ourselves in a situation where we can set aside a uh, context that sets us up for success like that, getting ready for uh, for the curveballs, expecting the curveballs. And that's that's where that improv toy is going to come in. So like uh, we've all been in a situation like yours, uh, Matt, where <laughs> the best laid plans 
uh, end up not going uh, according to plan. And actually, my, my last point about one of the biggest challenges with communication is what we do naturally as people when the best laid plans don't end up working. And that's, we become emotional. And that's, that's a, a, a strength. So like, to your point, like sometimes that can be our superpower, but that superpower of emotions can also be a problem too. So I, I try to explain something to someone and it doesn't go according to plan or, you know, something ends up blowing up in my face for, for another reason. My natural reaction due to millions of years of evolution is that my brain starts to go into like a fight or flight emotional response where I'm preparing to be able to, to address the the conflict or the threat. And that's how my, my reptilian brain is, is, is seeing that. And as soon as we're in a position where my emotions are in the driver's seat, I stop becoming a really thoughtful communicator. And I start trying to figure out how do I either run away from this or how do I attack the, the source of the threat. Neither of those options are particularly effective when you're trying to have a nuanced communication. So one of the things that I've certainly recommended to myself uh, and, and and certainly people I work with too is like that self-awareness piece that, that Matt has spoken about so articulately before uh, too is it's, it's so important you have to be, have the self-awareness that like listen I'm now stressed I'm I'm getting emotional about this and sometimes you need to be like the conversation actually needs to stop now and like there needs to be an exit strategy not not because you're running away but because we need to reset let the emotions sort of you know subside get out of that fight or flight response and then take another swing at it. So again, no silver bullets, but there are things like that that we can do. And I think that's just acknowledging, and we know this, you know, that empathy is a key component of emotional intelligence, right? And pillars of emotional intelligence, like the self-awareness and self-management, the ability to recognize where you're at or why you may be feeling the way that you're feeling, that's core, that's key. And then it's looking at relationship management and social awareness. It's understanding of how are my emotions influencing the people around me? Or, you know, how am I perceiving the world right now based on my own emotions? And, and how is that influencing or interacting with my relationships? And I think one of the great things now is that there's, there's so many tools and tips and tricks and things like that that are out there. I know for, for our brokerage, we've used what's called DISC assessment. I don't know if you've heard of that. So it's, again, that concept of being able to figure out, you know, break down who you are as an individual, how you learn, how you communicate with the people you work with, and how their communication comes back to you and the, the way that you react and why you react the way you do to be able to break down and understand, okay, how can I then better assess my communication with someone else? Those are all really helpful and important tools, right? Like those are core, you know, to, to this understanding of ourselves and, you know, this idea that awareness creates choice, right? So we can use tools like this. We can use, it doesn't have to be assessments like DISC. It can be journaling as an awareness tool that helps us identify the choices that we have. And, and you know, when we look and identify those choices, it's up to us then to take action and to create change. So, you know, these are, these are all really helpful ways for us to develop our, our empathy, our emotional intelligence, and strengthen our relationship to failure. And in your efforts to, obviously, you know, you guys are working in positions that in the end, you're trying to create a better future, right? You're creating, you're trying to help people learn about, like you said, those, those skills, those tools, those tricks, tips, all those different things. Where do you see your biggest challenges? Yeah, that's a big question these days. <laughs> <laughs> 
I would say outside of the the challenge of just like the the curveballs that uh, the last couple of years have thrown us, because I would say that we're all working under those same same challenges. I think one of the challenges for us that I, I actually really like this challenge, but it is a challenge, is explaining to the corporate teams that we work with. But like, so these are important things. I get it. failure, innovation, empathy. They're like, I'm on board, but play. Why are you bringing in toys here? And uh, and and Joan, I actually heard before, and I love this, you know, because we've worked together before too. You you called it uh, a tool at first, and they're like, "Oh, excuse me, toy." And I appreciate that because we really do believe, and we'll continue to fight the the good fight about uh, advocating for the importance of of play and toys for everyone, because toys allow us to do things that we can't do when more is at stake. I really firmly believe that we are all programmed to play. When we're left to our own devices, even uh, in well into adulthood, like we, we we tinker and we play and we run like little experiments and we doodle, and that that's just how our brain it's craving this type of playful experience where there's nothing at stake other than the joy of creating and and doing something because it's fun. I actually really like that challenge when uh, like I've had my my favorite I won't name drop or anything, but we we did a giant workshop for a, for a big hospitality uh, company. They they loved everything about it. We're going to do a session for about you know 150 people all at once, uh, and that the last note that they gave me before I, I went up on stage to do this session, they're like, "Okay, everything's great. They're super excited. Please don't use the word toy or play, you know, at all. So if you could just sort of like skirt that when you're." And I was like, "All right, all right, all right," because a big part of empathy is meeting someone where they're at. So I wanted to make sure. I'm like, "All right, if that makes sense, for sure." So I, I gave the whole session with the empathy toy, never calling it an empathy toy at all. <laughs> um, but then at the end, the, the same person who gave me that talk ahead of time, they're like, don't use the word uh, toy. They came up and celebrated, but like, wasn't that a playful session? Play is, is a wonderful way to connect because they, they saw firsthand what happened when what was a very playful experience was at the core of this. I mean, there was laughter. The, the discussion was much more vulnerable, much richer then if they thought that this was like a super serious thing, like they were, they were able to go into conversation topics that only play would allow for. So that's a good problem to have is uh, play is for everyone. Gosh, darn it. Yeah. And I think what's important there too is, you know, the importance of looking at play, not as like an activity, but actually looking at it as like a state of mind. When you can approach problems in a playful way that really helps to reinforce and foster the importance of creativity, innovation, collaboration, that complex problem solving, what we are able to do when we are in a state of play or a mindset of play is, you know, we're more open to testing new ideas. We're more open to learning and sharing in a safe environment, right? We're more open to to failure. And I think one of the most important aspects of, of bringing play into our work and, and into our lives is it really connects us. One of the one of the stories that I share around this often is when my now nine year old Hunter was was four years old. I was working in my home office, and you know he had come downstairs and was like, "Hey, Dad, you know, will you come play with me?" Right? And I was like, "Oh, not right now. You know, I'm working." He listens. You know, you know, kids like they just they absorb everything. And he goes, "But Dad, play is how I show you I love you." You know, and I was like, "Okay." I will just drop everything and connect with you. And and I think that that's so true, right? Is It's like play helps us connect with each other. It helps us show each other that we care. And, and, you know, I think we get a lot more done. We can accomplish a lot more, you know, when we approach things 
in a playful mindset rather than one where we see play as something that is, you know, done outside of the workplace. 100% too. And that's something I have to remind myself all the time too. And I, I work at 21 Toys, you know, we're all about play, but I certainly find myself getting into that mindset of like, I've got all this work to do. And there's like this weird thing that I think it's bred into us. Just, I think it's the nature of our education and sort of how we talk about play. Like if you're a student like me, at one point, a teacher yelled at you to stop playing around, right? <laughs> so I, I definitely got <laughs> that yelled at me a, a few times growing up. But I need to catch myself too, where this idea is like, I can only be productive when it's like nose to the grindstone, doing something that's like rigorous. But like, yeah, to Matt's point, uh, absolutely. Play is a mindset. You can play around with ideas and like not feel like you're, you're wasting time. Uh, you are actually digging into them deeper by having this more playful, more joyful, more open-minded approach to it rather than just going through the checklist and, and getting the work done. I like that idea. And I think uh, two points I'd like to make. First of all, Matt, I appreciate you sharing that story because I was wondering when you were going to bring that in. I, I've heard that story before and I always think it's a great, a great defining point of, of what it really means. That's, I think, a key factor. And I know I talked with, uh, I did a session with some of our agents here and I actually used your story as well, talking about the fact that's how a process works, but that's really in the end, like that's, that's a key heavy factor to understand about what the importance of play is. Yeah, I love that story. Secondly, to add on to that, it's almost as if you could, as a listener who's who's hearing these concepts, if you're you're in a corporate leading role, understanding that the importance of play comes into the fact of that's when all of these things come out, all of these intuitive ideas and collaboration and things like that happen. If you can incorporate that into your business, that's going to really help drive and motivate your staff and the people that you work with to to do more. I know on my level the broker of record. She's been adding more things like this. We've got the podcast. I'm doing social media videos. We're doing TikTok. We're doing all these fun activities like this to, to just help add on a little bit more and give, give a little bit more drive for our agents as well as the staff that are here. Yeah. And I think that's so important, right? Because what we want to do is, you know, we want play to be something that is, you know, incorporated into our cultures, right? And and seen as an opportunity and, you know, this idea, even in the language we use, right? So when we talk about problems, we're really focused on problems. But if we say, what's the opportunity here? What's the, what's the puzzle we're trying to solve? You know, even having more playful language, I think, can really open up space for for more creativity more collaboration and stronger relationships i mean my previous and, and i mentioned this early in my career i was really focused on youth leadership and i spent a lot of time focused on experiential learning bringing games into classrooms and into schools and then when i shifted over you know into learning and development i brought a lot of that with me and no one i think you know was like hey <laughs> we don't want to play these games we don't want to have any fun but again, you know, it goes back to what we said, you know, the value is not just in the experience of play, it's how we apply what we learn through play to our real lives, to our day-to-day -day work and to our to our relationships. And there's a certain level of again, you know, self-awareness and reflection that we need in order to do this well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Just one of the things that we try to do as a team too is at the end of the week when we're talking about things to celebrate because I think that's particularly important these days is, you know, we need to you know, celebrate the wins and the wins we like to celebrate too is what did we play this week? Like when were we playful? Because 
and, and even just calling that out, it's just, you know, like I was on this wonderful podcast, you know, with, with two amazing human beings and, uh, you know, we were able to, to play around with some ideas and kick around some ideas. That's a highlight and that's worth celebrating because it's not like I've now like checked off a box on like, here's another deliverable. It's no, I've positioned it the way that I think it should be as like, this was a playful, fun uh, activity that should be called out as such. And, and play is practice, right? Play allows us to prepare for real world scenarios. You know, when you look at the research around play, you look at how animals play when they're very, very young. You know, that's, that's not just for fun. That's to teach them important skills that they'll be applying, you know, in their lives. And, and it goes with us as human beings, right? Play is it's something that helps teach us empathy. Mm-hmm. It helps to teach us how to overcome you know, obstacles, how to overcome challenges, but in a way that feels safe, in a way that is fun. And that's, that's, we all want that. <laughs> that's valuable. Absolutely. We've kind of made touch points on this, but if there's any, I guess, last sort of notes to make, what impact do all of these soft skills, and I use quotation marks on that, do you find that tr- they truly have on businesses and the way they operate? Oh, definitely. I think the return on investment for when someone's invests in play shows up in any number of different ways. I think one of the big things we're we're seeing a lot uh, in the past couple of years is that companies that are investing in play and investing in in people, those are the companies that are retaining people uh, as well. Like just uh, what's going on in terms of the market right now with the great resignation and, you know, like LinkedIn is all over that and everyone's talking about it too, is I think people are waking up to the fact that if they don't feel valued, uh, if they don't feel heard, if they don't feel safe to to try things, they're going to move on because there's enough stress in the world already. They don't want their job to be just one more thing. But companies that do like uh, make a point of of saying that like not only are we going to be a sort of a playful and innovative company, like we we really do believe that the, the power of our company rests in in people and and we need to understand each other. Uh, and when they demonstrate and when they act on and they apply that that idea of of the importance of people, I mean people reciprocate. I mean going back like relationships have been a key sort of topic that we talked about throughout this our, our time today. And like human beings are programmed for relationships. So if someone gives me something, uh, whether that be a gift or like just the gift of like knowing that I've been heard or that I'm valued, my natural psychological reaction to that is going to want to reciprocate. I want to give something back. So if a company takes care of its people, the people are going to take care of what that company is all about. And I think that's a huge return on investment. Yeah. I mean, I I think we can't even call them or even consider calling them soft skills anymore. They're just human skills. In the last couple of years have really, I think, reinforced the importance of, you know, empathy and and connection. And we've seen <laughs> we've seen literally windows, you know, virtual windows uh, into into people's lives that we've never seen before. You know, at the beginning of all of this, I mean, I was taking meetings with a one year old on the side of my hip and being like, you have seven crackers. That is how long we have for this this conversation. Or going into conversations and being like, hey, you know, how are you? And and then just breaking down because of challenges that we've all experienced over the last two years or almost two years. These aren't soft skills. These are these are necessary. These are critical skills. You know, these are, are skills that support social wellness and connection. And, you know, as a result, uh, uh, really supports and, and, and fosters engagement and 
ultimately, as part of that, it's going to lead to productivity. It's going to lead to higher performance when we take the time to really acknowledge and recognize our whole selves. I'd like to make a touch point um, just because I know we've spent a lot of time talking about 21 Toys, but the work that you're doing, Matt, is just as crucial. How would you say that, I guess, in relation to all of these things we've talked about, how are you or do you have examples that you'd be able to share using the things that you know from 21 Toys and the work you do there within the work that you're doing with Plan? Yeah, I mean, I think I apply this, uh, you know, on a, on a regular basis, right? The lessons that we learn and the lessons that we teach around empathy and failure, being willing and able to talk about failure as, as part of the process of innovation. The beginning of all of this, I remember uh, having a conversation with my COO as we all went into like fully remote workforce and the challenges that came with that, especially at the beginning. And, you know, <laughs> I remember saying, this is one of those moments that matters the most, right? This is one of those moments where we all have to really show up as leaders and as, as human beings. And then it just kept going and it just kept going and it just kept going. And it got to a point where I was like, you know, I would just love a moment that didn't matter right now, uh, you know, um, here, here. but at the core of, of, you know, what we have been able to do as an organization, the core of everything we did, especially at the beginning was empathy. It was being very empathic and, and intentional about how we communicated with our staff. What was you know, most important to them? It reinforced a whole new internal comms strategy around how we would gather information from our organization and use that information as a way to not only drive the mission of the organization, but really focus on the people. I'm really proud of what we've been able to do as a result of that. The learnings and, and, and the understanding of the role that empathy plays and the role that failure plays, being, being kind to and with ourselves, being kind to others, and the importance of recognizing that our lives are not just our work. You know, there are all kinds of other things that are going on in our lives. And the last two years really kind of brought all of that together. So it was really important and really critical to, to be talking about this, practicing this. And it's that idea that, you know, these are skills. The most important time to be practicing empathy is before you need it, right? The second most important time is when those situations call for it. So having a practice of, of empathy, I think, was a really important influencer in, in how we've been able to approach everything. That's really good. I, I've always talked with other any other guests I've had is there's the concept of the fact like connecting the pieces together, right? It, it's not just about one piece that really works. I The most recent one I had before she she was able to really put it all together. We had talked about, you know, mindset stuff. We had talked about burn down the ships behind you so that you have nowhere to go but forward. All of these entrepreneurial mindset concepts and things like that that came into play. And then she was able to bring those together. And it's kind of the same what's happened here is the fact, you know, you've talked about these concepts of um, the importance of all of these tools and this play concept and all of these important factors that come in in relation to communication and then actually being able to apply it within the, within the company that you work for, whether it is 21 toys and using the skills that you're, you're teaching to make things work or within plan where you're using those skills and those tools to apply it back into the business again. 
before we uh, we kind of finish off here, I know, Ryan, you kind of made a touch point of it here, but I thought I'd maybe see if I could get a little more detail out of you, but I know I probably won't. But any future projects within 21 Toys that you're willing to share? Absolutely. Um, so it, it's kind of cool. So uh, Alana, the, the founder, uh, she has had the, sort of the, the, the first seven toys for for 21 toys already sort of conceived of right from the beginning so she's she definitely sees these as part of like this innovators toolkit um so we have now launched the empathy toy and the failure toy and we have now uh started a wait list for people who are wanting to know when the the improv toy or improvisation toy uh will will get launched uh that is that is going to be a ways off so we we have the the basic concept, but uh, there's definitely one thing that we learned from the the failure toy is that like take how long you think it's going to take to design a toy and then times it by ten. Uh, so <laughs> that's uh, certainly a, a lesson in entrepreneurship for for us. But uh, uh, and in the meantime, uh, we will continue to to expand uh, just uh, the global community of of facilitators, of educators, and of teams that are uh, similarly interested in in using play as as a uh, vehicle to be able to teach these skills to this community that understands the importance of these again soft skills that are not soft at all but are essential so uh, the media plans while we're building out the Im- improv toy is to continue learning from the amazing group of people that that uh, I'm really fortunate uh, enough to be able to play with uh, through my my role at 21 toys one other note as well for our listeners what sort of ways can they help support both 21 Toys as a business as well as supporting Plan? What sort of things can they do? All right. Well, if anyone's interested in uh, talking about uh, workshops or toys, you can definitely uh, get in get in uh, contact with me. If you just go through our to our website, it's 21toys. That's all spelled out, uh, 21toys.com. And then there's a way to, to get in touch with us about uh, both our workshops and, and our actual uh, toys. You can follow us on on uh, LinkedIn, on uh, on Twitter, on Instagram too. If you want to sort of uh, follow along the uh, the fun and adventures, we're starting to do more in person sessions again, which is exciting. So we'll be posting more about that. But uh, I'm always interested to talk and learn uh, with uh, with amazing people. So if people have uh, have have dug some of the topics that we talked about today, uh, I would love to uh, to be able to to continue that conversation. So yeah, find me online at twenty uh, one toys dot com, and yeah, we'll find ways to uh, to play together i wouldn't be serving the organization right now if i if i didn't you know suggest or, or direct people to one of the biggest campaigns that we run uh every year are gifts of hope uh you know these are gifts that uh give back to communities so there are 60 gifts of hope that you can you can look at that you can provide and give to to your loved ones that impact 70 plus projects, 30 plus countries around the world. Uh, we have this incredible matching program that will match up to nine times uh, the gift amount to be able to provide uh, these really important and, and valuable resources to children and, and families and communities around the world. So you can just go to plancanada.ca forward slash gifts of hope. Uh, and there are all kinds of really fun and cool gifts that you can send to your loved ones that will make a real impact uh, in the world and in the communities we serve. Fantastic. Now, I got one last thing before we go. Well, three. We're running quite a, quite long here, but I, I've loved the conversation. I think it's important that we realize that sometimes conversation, good conversation is worth taking the time. I'd like to ask you both three 
questions that I ask every every single one of my guests, if you're open to it. Yeah, totally. Bring them on. All right. So first question, what is something you do or use to ensure that you are always striving to work productively? I'm going to answer in a kind of a contrary way. I give myself license to not be productive sometimes. And I, that actually is really, really uh, important for me. My current home office is also uh, my music room. So my wife and I are musicians. So I, I make a point every single day in the middle of the day when I have a little bit of downtime, I'll pick up a guitar or I'll play some some piano or something too. It's got nothing to do with what I'm working on, but everything to do with uh, keeping me playful and, and creative. And that that actually helps my productivity, uh, I think, in, in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to speak to two things. One, in terms of productivity, uh, one of the things that I, I, I really make sure I do, and I've been doing this for years, is, is this process and this experience of prioritizing priorities. So, you know, at the beginning of a day, actually really getting clear on like, what is it that I really need to focus on today? You know, what's going to have the biggest impact? And so, you know, going through a process of, of really, you know, looking at these things and, and prioritizing those and time blocking, you know, blocking my calendar for not just time for for work, for focused work on these priorities, time for meetings, time for relationships. Um, and, and to Ryan's point, you know, also the, the importance of blocking off time for self-care, right? So, you know, one of the things I've been doing a lot uh, uh, lately is I've been taking the time and, and putting time in my calendar to make sure that I go for these like really nice walks in the forest, because that's something that I really need for, you know, my own mental health and, and my own well-being. I have to block these things in my calendar uh, the same way I would put, you know, a meeting in my calendar. And what is one habit that has transformed your life? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you right away. I mean, without thinking twice about it um, is journaling. It's, uh, you know, I think since I was like 22, I've had a regular practice of, of journaling and asking myself some really, really important and consistent questions, you know, on a regular basis. So um, I touched on these a bit, but, you know, five questions that I will ask myself regularly when I journal is, why am I here today? Which really helps me kind of look at, you know, what is my intention for the day? Who am I here to be? How do I want to show up? Right? So it's like those qualities or characteristics and playful is often one of those that what's going on around me you know, and, and what can I do about it? Those are two really important questions. And then, you know, the last question is often around what's the promise I'm going to make to myself today? Again, you know, that's usually focused on self-care. It's, it's that promise of like, hey, I'm going to move my body today, or I'm going to make sure I eat consciously, or I'm going to make sure that I, you know, get out in nature and go for a walk. So it's a habit I've been, I've been doing for, you know, probably 15, 15 years at least. And uh, it's something I'm a really, really strong advocate for. Yeah, uh, I guess the habit that I've always had, which... Uh... Uh, has been, I, I can't imagine my life without it, is I always need a project that has nothing to do with work. So uh, like a project that usually costs me money <laughs> is actually a really important, just a part of like a, a habitual thing I do every single week. So whether that be like working on something around our house or, or working on a music project or doing something sort of helping someone else, like going to my brother's place and helping some gardening projects or something too. Um, so just like doing something with my hands that's only purpose is to create something. And like, I, I always need to have that part of every single week I have. Otherwise 
uh, I think I, I, I get out of balance a little bit too. So projects is my habit. Finally, this question can be can be very challenging for others, and sometimes it's really easy. So we'll see how you both take it. If you could write a chapter in the guide to awesomeness, what would the title be? I got it. <laughs> uh, so my my title would be "Live the Questions." Would you mind elaborating a little on that first story, Ryan? Yeah, I can elaborate on that. This is something, it actually is uh, from a book called Letters to a Young Poet by Rainer Maria Rilke. And uh, I was given this book, I think when I was like 24, I actually have it tattooed on my arm. And, uh, you know, to me, that is like the recognition and the importance uh, of understanding that the questions are often more important than the answers. The better questions we ask, the better we can live. So I think that, you know, instead of always trying to figure it out, always trying to have the answers my experience has been is that I'm a happier, healthier, more impactful person when I really focus on, you know, what are those questions that are most important to me right now? And, you know, and how do I live them? I love that. My chapter came to mind immediately would be uh, play it forward. I like it because it's, uh, Number one, uh, it kind of has a couple of different meanings. And any time that I can create a chapter that has at least two interpretations, I, I will take that opportunity. So I think playing it forward uh, is like the idea that play does help us move forward in a uh, in a really awesome way. Uh, you know, it's when we play that we learn new ideas, build new relationships, have unexpected results that lead to delightful consequences. Uh, you know, playing it forward and like paying it forward is also a big part of this too, is uh, play is also most valuable when it's shared. Um, when you're able to give someone else an opportunity for something playful and, and, and joyful, or like if you're able to share a lesson that came from from play. So uh, play is, is a beautiful, awesome, amazing thing because it's collaborative. So play it forward would be my uh, guide to awesomeness chapter. Perfect. And I, I think that's a great note to end on. Part of me is apologizing for how long this has taken and for our listeners for the fact of how long they're going to have to sit and listen to this podcast. But really, I'm, I'm not sorry because this was a, a really in-depth conversation and I'm, I'm really glad that we had the opportunity to have it. And I really, really look forward to, to what things to, are going to be coming forward. And I hope I can get the chance to work with you both again because I really I enjoyed working and learning from both of you both at this point now and times that have happened in the past. And uh if, if there's anything that we can ever do for you, feel free to reach out. Um, but thank you both for, for joining me. Uh, it was a pleasure. It's always yeah, uh, amazing so to fun. talk to both of you. Very playful. Lots of fun. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to follow us wherever you get your podcasts to keep up to date with the awesome people and awesome things we talk about. This is Jonah reminding you to be awesome today and be even more tomorrow.